Okay, got it. I'll tell him. Thank you. She was watching. <laughs> that was quite an intro. I like that one. Yeah. Your people are getting carried away. I, I know. Say. Excitement. So, diesel, huh? Diesel. Diesel, mm-hmm. yeah. Diesel, yeah. Engines are really interesting, aren't they? Now diesel engines are up to like 40% efficient, wow. which is pretty exciting. And gasoline are up to like 23, 25% efficient, which is kind of neat. You know, when, uh, when you ignite a gasoline engine with a spark plug, and the spark plug is compressing the, the charge of air and fuel, and it sparks, it starts to burn. And Tobias was talking about how it explodes. Interestingly, you don't really want it to explode. You want it to burn. Mm-hmm. And you want it to burn a little bit slower so you can get all the power out. But uh, sometimes, if things are wrong in the engine, it'll start burning, and it builds up so much pressure, it ignites all the fuel in the chamber. And instead of having a nice flame go through from the spark plug out to the edges, it explodes all at once. It all catches on fire. And we call that a detonation or an explosion. And that's when you hear your engine ping. You ever heard your engine go ping, ping, ping? It's kind of hard on an engine. So you want it to have a nice, smooth burn cycle. And to do that, historically, what we've done is we've added a lead additive to the gasoline. And then it makes it burn more smoothly instead of exploding. So we call that leaded gasoline. And that was great until we got into the era of worrying about air pollution. And so then we put a catalytic converter on the tailpipe of a car so that as the carbon monoxide and the unburnt hydrocarbons that go through the muffler, through this tailpipe thing, it would catalytically burn them out and make it clean. But if you had lead in the gas, it would ruin the platinum in the catalyst. So that's why we had to get rid of leaded gasoline. And so we now have unleaded gasoline. And lead is a real good additive to prevent the engine from detonating, from pinging. The tendency of an engine to detonate a gasoline engine is the octane rating of the fuel. When you go buy gasoline on the pump, you can see the octane rating. This one's 87, this one, whoa, it's 94. And you can look at those octane ratings. It's, it's kind of interesting where octane comes from. There's a, an engine in the laboratory called a CFR, a fuel research engine. And it's an engine that has the combustion chamber, and then has a little crank on it. And you can crank the top up and down so it changes how much it compresses the gas. Hmm. And what you do is you run the engine, and it has a little microphone on there to listen how loud the detonations are. And you start cranking up the compression ratio, and the detonations start getting louder and louder. When they're loud enough, then you look at the compression ratio and look at a chart, and you know the octane of the fuel. Oh. Kind of interesting. Did you know that if you put alcohol in the fuel, it raises the octane? Some of our newer gasolines, especially the regular, use alcohol in the gasoline to make it have a better octane. But I'll tell you a little secret. This is a good little secret. You notice when you go buy gas, there's regular, mm-hmm. and then there's premium. 
right? And the premium costs more. Premium quite often has additives in it that are good for the engine. They do things to clean your engine and stuff like that. But the premium has a higher octane ratio. And in most engines, if you use a premium fuel, you get more miles per gallon. So you pay more, but you drive more. And actually, on my car, I've tested it. If I use regular... And I see how many miles I can go per gallon, and then I use premium. I end up just about exactly the same price per mile for regular and premium, which is kind of cool. Why would we use gasoline and not diesel if it's more well, efficient? Well, diesel engines are, you know what's really funny? Uh-uh. I thought that would be a good question for her to ask me. <laughs> I did something yeah. right. <laughs> but, but actually, there is a reason why we don't use more diesel engines. We use them in big, expensive trucks and yeah. tractors and things like that. But in just regular, everyday cars, mm-hmm. we don't use them as often because diesel engines cost more to make. But they're more efficient. Well, they are more efficient. Do you know why they're more efficient? they fish more. No. Actually, it's really an interesting reason. Part of it is the thing Tobias mentioned, and that is they compress the fuel into a tighter space. So it has a higher compression ratio, Mm -hmm. which gives it a little bit more power. With a gasoline engine, we used to have a higher compression ratio until we passed the Clean Air Act, and then we lowered it so that we wouldn't form so much nitric oxide pollution. But anyway... The one reason it's more efficient is the higher compression ratio, but the other reason is what uh, mechanical engineers call volumetric efficiency. And volumetric efficiency is about how much energy it takes to pull the air into the engine that you're going to compress. And you say, well, wait a minute. So we're wasting energy pulling air in? On a gasoline engine... You have to have the mixture of air and fuel almost perfect. If you don't, it doesn't burn very well. You get smoke or it doesn't burn at all. So you have to have a carburetor that makes the mixture of the amount of fuel you're using and the amount of gasoline, almost, excuse me, the air and the fuel, almost exactly perfect. But if you don't want to go wide open throttle, if you want to slow down for a slow road or something, you need to turn the engine down. And in a gasoline engine... If you turn down the gas, well, then it'll get too lean and then it won't burn properly. So what they did on the path that the air comes into the engine, they put a throttle. And the throttle's a great big disc that's hooked up to your pedal. And as you push the pedal, it opens and closes and blocks the air from coming in. Hmm. So it'd be like a vacuum sweeper. You know, it's pulling air in, but if you put your hand over it, you don't get as much. If you open up a little bit, you can right? Mm -hmm. When you're idling, the throttle is closed, it's trying to pull air in, it can't because it's blocked, and it wastes a lot of the energy trying to suck in the air. In a diesel engine, there is no throttle of the air coming in. It lets all the air come in on every cycle, and it compresses all the air. You say, wow, then there's going to be too much power. No, because they control the amount of fuel they squirt in on every stroke. 
he, he talked about on the early engines they had to do some tricks to get enough pressure to push the diesel fuel into the chamber. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we don't have those, those air pressure things. What we have is we have injectors, fuel injectors. They have a fuel pump that carries the fuel to the injector, and then the injector has either mechanical or electrical uh, force to force the diesel into the chamber. And the parts are very, very precision. And that's one of the things that makes the diesel engines very expensive is those fuel injectors. But it then sprays the amount of fuel for the amount of power you want. If you're only going to be idling, it just gives a little speck of fuel. Hmm. The air is already hot because it's compressed, and it burns just in one little spot, so the mixture's fine. If you need more, you just squirt more fuel. Anyway, we could talk about engines for a long time, but we're not going to tonight because... We're going to talk about the science fair. Okay, let's talk. It is time to announce the winners of this year's science fair. We have so many wonderful entries. We do. We uh, really science do. fairs are amazing, and the Sella students are more than amazing. We have entries from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So it is truly an international science fair, and it's fun to be able to announce the winners. And uh, in first place is... Dr. Peugeot. <laughs> That's all that celebration then. We have, we have four categories of winners for the science fair. We have the winners of the robot contest, the dance contest, right? Uh -huh. And then we have elementary, middle, and high school, okay? Uh -huh. So let's start up at the top, which is elementary. We have a first, second, third place, and we have two honorable mentions. Let's hear it for first place. That's Cindy Daisy. All right, and there she is. Let's hear it for her. Okay. Keep going. Second place is Peter Stark. Hi, Peter. Mm -hmm. Third place is third place is Gideon Stevenson. And there he is. Whoa, great scientist. And then honorable mention is Mateo Rees. Okay. Hi, Mateo. And the second honorable mention is Benjamin McKinney. Okay, there they go. Now let's stop for just a minute. Elementary students doing super projects. That's I amazing. want to congratulate you guys. It's really fun. I hope next year even more of our elementary students get involved. This is amazing. And we're going to be sending all of you prizes. And uh, should we tell them what the prizes are? Yes. On, let me look at the other page. You want to hear what they are? Okay. So for the honorable mentions, you get this really neat Science Live t-shirt. There it is. Ooh, da -da, da -da. This is a new one. you got to love it. Science Live. And it's got a snake. That would be on your side, wouldn't it? That's a worm. Okay. Yeah. It's a worm. Okay, good. <laughs> and there's your people in their rocket ship. Yeah, anyway, is, this yeah. is a good shirt. You ought to have it. And honorable mentions receive that. The third place winner receives... And a Cellus hoodie. Yeah, remember those. Yep. And look at that. Is the basketball included? <laughs> and and sunglasses. Nice no, you have to furnish your those own basketball nice and your own. Anyway, so hoodie. Second place, it's a hydrogen bottle. Woo. Yep, How like fun. this one right there. Mm, 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 oh, uh, oh, right? Oh. That, that's it. <laughs> that's the one. Okay. And the first prize winner. Re receives a gravity light. 
Remember the gravity lights, the little light that floats in space, and you really need to have one of those, the Salas gravity light. And uh, for the high school level, we have uh, uh, a special award that I'll tell you about in a minute, but we'll, that's it for elementary, okay? Okay. Let's go to middle school. First place is Landon Suhu. Hello, Landon. Second is Alvin Abbott. Alvin. Third place is Licha DeRees. Licha. Look, she's got a robot and her cello shirt on. There you go. Honorable mention is Evan Marks. Hi, Evan. And the other honorable mention is Alejandro Navarre. And there she is. Okay, you guys get the same prizes. Well, actually, they're the same thing, but you get a different one. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to share. Okay. Okay. Now we're going to go to high school. On, on high school, we have a grand prize winner, and we have a first place. And both the grand prize and the first place winner uh, receive scholarships to the International Academy of Science, a full wow. scholarship. And also, they both receive gravity lights. Okay? Oh, neat. Let's hear it. Grand prize is Ethan Simon. There he is. First place is Quinn Braden. Second is Arnav Revenkar. And third is Alexander Paul Hauser. And the honorable mention is Donna Wanderverken. That's awesome. You know, you guys, congratulations. We have so many neat entries this year, and I'm expecting bigger and better things next year. It's wonderful. And then we have... The robot contest winners. Yes, we do. First place is Myla Clementson. And that's the robot. That one's called Da Vinci's Dream. I see. <laughs> I watched it. It's fun. You like it? Uh huh. Second is Megan Alves. Megan? Like this. Whoa. <laughs> Cafe. Now Roger's Coffee. Roller Rink. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. I'm just saying, too. And third place is Hannah Parada. Hannah and Parada. Do you want to see where they can see him? Yes. And then they can see the science fair um, entries, and those are one at science.edu slash science fair. So there they are. Right there. Science.edu slash science fair. You can go see them. There they are. How fun. And we want to congratulate all of you that entered. This was a very successful experience, and we're looking forward to having you all join us next time. Mm -hmm. It was tough deciding. It is wonderful that we have such good entries. Now, we had some people that have been uh, writing quite a few inquiries about what we talked about last time. It was these little rods. And apparently... The way we explained it was a little bit confusing to some. And we don't want to leave any confusion, so we'll go back. Remember, this little guy here 
is a lead cylinder, and this is an aluminum cylinder. And some said, now, wait a minute. How can it be bigger and be the same as the little one? Well, it turns out that both these rods have the same weight. The lead is as heavy as this long aluminum. But just to make sure everybody gets it, I brought a scale, and I brought some weights that are the same size. This is a piece of iron. It's one inch square, and this is a piece of which one shall I pick? Ah, maybe I'll pick a piece of wood. This is pine. So two samples exactly the same size. If I put the iron on the scale, we see that it weighs 124.95 grams. Now I'm going to put a piece of wood of exactly the same size on, and it only, oh, it weighs less, considerably less, 6.9 grams. How can they be the same size and have different weights? And the answer is this is lower density. Inside the structure of this wood, there are atoms, as in, but the iron weighs more. Now, here's an interesting one. I have copper and I have iron. Which one weighs more? The one that weighs the most, since they're the same size, would be the greater density. You remember that the iron is 124.94, and the copper is 146.58. So that means that copper is more dense than iron. Do you get it? <laughs> so now we have a grand champion, copper, and if we put brass over here, it's challenging the copper, 134, but copper is still the winner. Remember, brass is an alloy that's half copper and half another metal. And maybe aluminum is more dense than copper. The aluminum one, same size, is only 42 grams. Both metal, same size, but the copper is a lot heavier. So that's what we mean by more dense. Now, in this sample that I showed you before, all of these different rods have exactly the same weight, but they're different sizes showing the difference in density. I hope that makes a lot of sense. Does it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have any questions? I don't. You don't? I didn't see zinc. You didn't see zinc. My favorite one. I know where zinc is now. <laughs> I learned that last week. <laughs> Dr. Monet would like to know how much zinc weighs. I would. <laughs> yep, 100 grams. <laughs> they all weigh 100 grams. See, that's what I'm saying. I okay, so here's the deal. I ordered a zinc one that isn't here yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I would thank you not to bring it up. I didn't know. I was going to show you my new invention, but now I don't think I will. <laughs> How can I make it up to you? Hmm. Do you cook? No. Right. Some dishes. We'll think about something. <laughs> um, hmm. Sorry about that. <sighs> <laughs> I did notice, didn't I? <laughs> you did notice. She did it on purpose. 
Uh, not to change the subject, but did you know that plastic is light too? There's <laughs> same size plastic. So every one of these materials has a different density, and density is a way you can identify materials. When we found the meteorite at my, at my ranch, uh -huh. we, we weighed it, but then to find out the density, we had to measure it, and it was this strange, irregular shape. So we had to have a way to measure it. If it was a nice cube like this, we could have just taken a ruler, but it was irregular. Mm -hmm. So we did something that scientists usually do. We filled a container clear full of water so that any, if you stuck your finger to push a drop out, and then we put the rock down in the water and we measured how much water came out. Mm -hmm. And that way we found out the volume. And then we could calculate exactly the density. And that's the first step of us finding out that it was part of that meteorite the big one of which fell about 100 miles from my ranch and which was part of the asteroid that NASA sent the probe to. That's Density neat. is a neat property. And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll get back to zinc later. I like zinc, but it's coming. Okay? Okay. I is still want good? to see your invention, though. Okay, well, let me... Let me just cool down a little bit. <laughs> but, okay. You know, I do want to talk about the science fair and what's coming up because it's time to get your research started. And I thought, you know, it might help some of the students if we talked a little bit about how you do a research project. Uh, I am all into a thing called inventioneering. Yes. Inventioneering. That is what we teach at the Institute of Science and Technology. And remember, inventioneering, my definition for inventioneering is the science of putting science to work. And I'd like to kind of go through the, the rules or, or how inventioneering works, okay? And I've brought along an, a, uh, another person to help me read this, but... Let's, let's go ahead and put up this wonderful poster one more time. Inventioneering, the science of putting science to work. You came up with that, inventioneering. Inventioneering came out of the discussions we had with Dr. Pardo uh -huh. and Dr. Hawkins and the people at the beginning of the International Academy of Science. And uh, I added the tagline, the science putting science to work. I love it. Okay. You would have to rub that in. I, I was one of the co-inventors. I was there. I wasn't rubbing it. I was letting the students know that they're very lucky to get to hear it from you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're very lucky. <laughs> one night. <clears throat> okay, let's move on. Okay. So, would you like to know the steps in inventioneering? Let's do it. And this is use inventioneering to do your science for a project. Okay, step number one. Set a clear goal until... Let me start over. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my native tongue. Okay. <laughs> number one, set a clear goal you want to achieve. All right. Set a clear goal you want to achieve. Now, we've talked about this. Bill Lear, most people, he says will never achieve their goals because they don't know what they are. Yeah. 
and that's really true. Uh, I learned about this when I was in the third grade playing baseball. One day, our teacher thought we should play with people that didn't normally play ball, and we had some really athletic people in our class, and so one of them got up to bat, and they hit the ball, and then they ran to third base. (laughs) They didn't know where first base was. They didn't run the right place. We threw the ball to third base and tagged them. They were out because they were supposed to be on first base. Mm -hmm. If you don't know where you're trying to get, how do you know when you get there? It's difficult. And it's really, really important to set a very, 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 very tangible goal. And that's a step that way too many people forget. So if you're going to do a science fair project, figure out what you're trying to do. And it is fair. I mean, if you're like Tobias and it turns out to be a cannonball, it's okay to change your mind a few times, but always change it with a clear goal. Do you want to read the second part? There's some bullets under under one. So this is 1A. Use enough detail to really understand what you are going to do. So when you're making that goal, make it a detailed goal. Remember Bill Lear? Set Moya down in the kitchen. He put four chairs there, two in front, two in back. And they went on their first flight in the Learjet. And he told her all kinds of things about it. He had worked out the details. Make your goal real. 1B, identify the details and parameters that must be fulfilled to achieve success. Mm-hmm. So how do you know when you've achieved it? Mm-hmm. And in baseball, you get to the bag before they throw you out. In engineering, you have to really have a very, very tangible goal that you want to achieve, and so you can know when you have achieved it. Okay? Next one. Step two. Do your homework. Through research, become an expert on the state of the art. Yeah. Most new inventors charge out to invent something new without taking time to check to see if it's already been invented. Mm. It's just not fair to go invent something and then find out that 150 years ago someone else already invented it. (laughs) That's not fair. But that happens very, very often. Mm. So when when you've got your goal and you know what you want to do as your inventioneering project, check the state of the art, check the research. In our doctoral program, the first step in really starting your research is review the literature. Find out what other people have said, what they've invented, how they did it. And you'll be amazing how crucial and important this is. Don't invent yesterday's news. You've got to get to the latest information to be able to then advance the state of the art. And by the way, with the Internet today, that's so easy. Step three. Begin to design possible solutions and test them. Learn to pretest in your head. Yeah, so you start figuring out designs for what you're trying to do. And this is where you get into a hypothesis. I think, I think this would work. I think that would work. And I remember hearing the story that many scientists will learn to do experiments mentally. They'll just imagine it. That's a Disney word, Imagineering, right? Mm -hmm. 
when you get good at it, it's amazing how many mistakes you can eliminate without ever setting up any chemicals or any laboratory equipment. And you really should do that. A lot of my really good ideas are shot down to actually be really bad ideas just because I'm able to do experiments in my head. And you really should do that. And you imagine, what would happen if I did this and this? And you start trying to see where the flaws are in your design. You can really move things forward if you test your designs in theory before you actually try to build them. Number four, evolve your solution using the scientific method. So you've got a solution you think might work, but you've got to evolve it. You need to advance it. You need to make it progress towards your goal. The scientific method is the key. That is the way scientists move forward in knowledge. And we do it with experiments. Scientists have something that they think might be true, so they invent an experiment to test their theory. And designing good experiments is a real challenge. In fact, many times, the hardest thing a scientist has to do is figure out a way they can test a theory. Very often, what they're testing is something they can't even see. So designing experiments is really exciting and, and very important. The scientific method then says you design the experiment, you run the experiment, you analyze the results to see what you can learn from it, and very often, very, 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 almost always, you have to design another experiment because all you learned from the first one is that didn't quite work and why. Okay. Number five, figure out why it didn't work and go back to step three. Okay, so let's go back to step three. <clears throat> Begin to design possible solutions and test them. Learn to pretest in your head. Pretest in your head. Step six. No, number four is number after three. Four is after three. Evolve your solution using the scientific method. Yes, that's a very good idea. Number five. Yes. Figure out why it didn't work and go back to step three. Okay, go back to step three. <laughs> Begin to design possible solutions and test them. Learn to test in your we head. We already did this mm -hmm. one. Step four, evolve your solution <laughs> using the scientific method. Number five, figure out why it didn't work and go back to step three. Six. Step three. Six. <laughs> Six. She's stuck. I am. Reminds me of an android. Okay. Six, please. Dr. Billings. Um, six, don't give up until you have achieved your goal. That is so important. Can I say it again? Very often <laughs> when you're working on a project and it doesn't work, it is very discouraging. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you feel like, I've tried everything. I'm just going to give up. Thomas Edison was trying to make a light bulb. And he, he tried everything. He hooked electricity up to almost everything he could think of. And it just didn't work. Most things would just burn up or nothing would happen. And then finally, the idea of putting a bulb over the filament and pumping out the oxygen so it wouldn't burn. And then he could just use a little piece of carbon. That's all he needed to be able to make a light bulb. Don't give up. So. Seven is enjoy your success. That's my favorite yes. part. 
Mm -hmm. And you really should. It is really fun. The harder a project is, the harder you have to work, mm -hmm. the more enjoyable it is. That's true. That's pretty neat. Okay, so we're, we're starting to uh, run out of time here a little bit, but... Uh, what is it? I've been working on a project that would involve some, some new technology. And um, I knew that if I could make this, it would be a breakthrough technology. I um, wonder if we can get a close-up on this because I'd like everybody to see it. It's a personal hydrogen generator. Wow. Can you see that? Personal hydrogen generator as seen on Science Live. Huh? What do you think about wow. that? And then it says flip switch to activate. Now, I haven't been able to figure out how to build one small enough to go in your pocket. So this is not a pocket version, but you could get this one in your purse or your briefcase, so you could take it anywhere you want to go, and you've got your personal hydrogen right there. Would you demonstrate it for us, please? <laughs> I am just thinking that I'm... I'm you're, just, I would love to demonstrate it. So what you do what is do you do? push the switch to activate. Can you get... Let's get on the camera. Which so way? Down to the side? You have a degree. Just push the switch. <laughs> okay, let's put it like that. How's that? Now you push it to the left. From the right to the left. You just, that way. She's scared. <laughs> I am. She's nervous. She has no faith in my research. I hmm. have a lot of faith. That is the problem. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Just, just go ahead and act it. No, no. You push it that way. On that left? Yeah, that way. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Aww. go ahead and activate it. <clears throat> that was... That was. You're, you're supposed to activate it. <laughs> That's like going back to step three. <laughs> it's, just keep the camera on. I, it, it is kind of like going back to three. Oh, there might be something wrong with it. Is it it's just she broke it. <laughs> Did I break yeah. it for real? Actually, this is one I'm still working on. That's just a fun tease. Tease. <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. I love it. Can I do it wait again? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's a lot of effort went into this. You see this little bird here? Can you see that? Oh, it's a bird. Yeah, see? And when you turn the switch on, watch the little bird. See that? It's like a woodpecker. He turns off the switch. Can you see the switch? That there? is really we'll clever. Here we go. Watch. I love it. That's pretty naughty, but pretty clever. Yeah. So I think this is actually making a lot of hydrogen. Uh-huh. But unfortunately, I have a little bug I got to work out. It keeps shutting itself down. It does. Can it's I see what's in it? I didn't see very much. You didn't get to see very much. No, I think the camera could see better than I. Camera can see better than I. Here, I'll put it on the camera. Oh, it has a little circuit board and it has batteries, and yeah. that is really fun. It's definitely high tech. <laughs> that part. That is right. fun. I mm -hmm. love it. Mm -hmm. So, when it works correctly, it produces hydrogen. 
Another embarrassing question. <laughs> when it works correctly... That's just a tease. It, that is just it, a, it was invented for Dr. Peje Monet. It's like a mockingbird. When she hits three bads in one session. It's a mockingbird is what that you is. Know, mocking we only me. have a few minutes okay. left to talk about something really serious. Okay. You recognize this. This is a disk drive from a computer, mm-hmm. a hard disk. And this particular one is uh, 14 terabytes. Wow. Uh, wow, that's 14 trillion bytes of that's information. It's enormous. We use drives to store information in our data center. And our data center is where we store all of our student records. We store them on hard drives. Actually, though, hard drives are slow to get the data off. We have a spinning drive, and when you ask for a data, the head has to find the track, and then it has to wait for the disk to come around to the beginning, and then we read the data. And that takes time, thousandths of a second, which with all of our students is too slow, and our students trying to get through their course. So in Acellus, all of your student data that you use is stored actually in memory, real time. That's one of the reasons why Acellus is as fast as it is. But when we start archiving data, we need to have a lot of storage. Uh, And when I say a lot of storage, this huge drive with 14 terabytes, in fact, the ones we're using right now are 16 terabytes, There's an 18 terabyte, which is now available, but it's still kind of pricey. That's a lot of information. But our data center is growing and growing and growing, and so we need a lot of these drives. We have an X server, meaning Extabyte, which stores a thousand of these drives inside one server. That's amazing. Now, in a data center, a big cost of operating the data center is just the electricity of running all the computers and all the disk drives. And I do have a little invention that I developed through this process that I want to tell you about. It's, uh, it's a technology that I think is pretty neat, and I, I hope somebody will hear about this <laughs> invention, and they will use it. So I'm kind of sharing this with my competitors, but I think it's such a good idea. These disk drives sit and spin and spin and spin, and they wear out. They try to make them so they last seven years, but they eventually wear out. Whenever you have bearings and and motors going, they do wear out. We'd like to keep this data for a long time. And furthermore, it turns out that the electricity is the big cost of keeping these things going. Well, some of the data that we're storing is archival data, which means we probably won't need it very often, but we need a lot of it. So we have a server with a 1,000 of these, and they're 90 to a cabinet. If you can think of a cabinet that's 4U high, and it has 90 drives in it, and in those we have 12 of those cabinets in one server. The electricity to run all of those is huge. And so here's my invention. It's very, very simple. 
I only turn on the drive out of the thousand that someone is asking for the data. Since this is archival information, they don't need it all the time like your student data that we keep in memory. We only need it once in a blue moon. Some of the data we may not need for years. So out of those thousand drives, we only turn on the ones that have data that someone's actually asking for right now. We have the one that we're filling data, and we're all, we'll fill that one up when it's full. We'll turn on the next one. We'll turn this one off. Brilliant. And we save 90% of the power to run the server. And remember, that's half the cost of the data center. And the other nice thing is, since these aren't spinning all the time, they should have a 20-year life, which is kind of a thing. A simple, simple idea, but it will have very large impacts for our company to be able to store all the data we want to store. And we want to keep your data safe and sound for a long time. In 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, you may come and say, hey, I want to hear again about that grade, that A I got in algebra. (laughs) So I have a quick question. Okay. Let's take a vote. No. Okay, go ahead, please. (laughs) Go ahead. Thank you. So why would you share that information with your competitors? Because it's a good idea. Uh Uh-huh. It will save a lot of electricity, and we should all be doing it that way, unless they can come up with a better idea. Sometimes we patent an idea so that no one can use it without paying royalties. Uh, in Acellus, we have a lot of cutting-edge technology, and most of it I've just shared in, in my Acellus book, and a lot of people are using it, and I think it's wonderful. and. My patent attorney said, Roger, what are you doing? This is really viable. And I said, you know what? Uh, Acellus isn't about accumulating money. It's about educating our youth. And if we have a good idea like vectored instruction or something that really works and a competitor uses it, then it's going to help some of our kids somewhere. And that's really exciting. So we have to kind of remember what it's all about. Um, When I started my very first company after we left Bill Air, the company grew, it went public, uh, the stock became really viable. We went from being really, really poor to where we actually had to go buy a new car, and it was really fun. But, you know, uh, we ran that company for 13 years. It went public, it went on NASDAQ exchange, we sold it out, we did really well, and when that company was done, we realized we don't have to work again, at least not in this lifetime. And so it's kind of a different feeling because it always felt like I hope to become financially stable someday. And it was through the success of that company that we've been able to do a lot of other things, like a Acellus. Acellus was done without any outside investors, without government money, without anything. And there's a real neat feeling there. And we didn't do it because we wanted to see if we could make some money. Uh, some of the schools that we provided Acellus to said, you know, you could charge a lot more. There are people charging a lot more. And uh, told them, well, maybe theirs is better. <laughs> and it might have been. But it's just exciting. 
to see that so many students are having a good experience with it. And sometimes in life, that's really what we ought to remember that it's all about. And in this case, I thought about it. Uh, there are some details here that would be easy to figure out just even from this little notion. And you say, well, that's such a simple idea. But it's probably going to save me millions of dollars. And maybe I could not tell anybody, and, and maybe I could make a little bit more money. But what if someone else can use this? Because data centers take a lot of electricity. And right now, we ought to conserve all the electricity we have. It changes our, our carbon footprint. It does a lot of things. And, you know, I want to be more about that, and I want to teach our students to be more about that. Thank you. Thank you. That's all of the teasing we have time for. <laughs> so we'll see you next time. Thank you.